1: President Trump sent a tweet. Yes, that's how many of these Can He Do That? episodes could begin. But this time, that tweet led to a series of events that nearly two weeks later is still unfolding. And that single tweet poses larger questions for the country that might not be initially obvious. The message was an incorrect claim from the president that Hurricane Dorian would hit Alabama. Soon after, the Birmingham Weather Forecast Office sent a tweet to quell fears, reassuring the community that Alabama was not, in fact, in the expected path of the hurricane. That contradictory tweet from Birmingham's Weather Service outpost did not sit well with Trump. According to Washington Post reporting, he complained about it for days and ultimately asked his staff to fix it, to counter a tweet that was accurate to the forecast at the time, seemingly because it contradicted his own inaccurate one. And so a scientific government agency, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, issued a statement essentially siding with Trump over its own scientists. A doctored weather map and a sharpie were also involved, but we'll get to that later. These events culminating in a president pressuring a government agency to issue a statement in support of his own false claim raises serious questions about presidential power. What happens when our president politicizes scientific institutions? Are there safeguards to protect government employees who feel caught between scientific ethics and directives from leadership? And can a president be held accountable for pushing agencies to support knowingly false information? This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. To figure out the greater implications of Trump's efforts to support his Alabama tweet, I talked to Andrew Friedman. Andrew is an editor at The Post focused on extreme weather, climate, and the environment. And because he knows an incredible amount about weather, I asked him to start by explaining to me what exactly was false about Trump's September 1st tweet, suggesting Alabama would be hit much harder than expected by Hurricane Dorian.
0: Based on the information that the National Hurricane Center had provided, as of 5 o'clock in the morning that day, his tweet, I think, was around 1040 a.m. As of 5 o'clock in the morning, the Hurricane Cone, the track forecast, took the storm off the East Coast Mm -hmm. with no real impacts west of Georgia. So the track forecast showed no impacts in Alabama. There was only one forecast product that showed any impacts in Alabama, and it was a 5% chance of tropical storm force winds in extreme southeastern Alabama. So his forecast at that time, I mean, if he had spoken and tweeted two days earlier, it might have been more accurate. But at that time, it was just absolutely not true.
1: And the presumption is that as as the president of the United States, he has the most up-to-date information.
0: Yeah, that's the presumption. We've never had a U.S. president before putting out inaccurate, severe storm information. Mm -hmm. We've just never had that situation.
1: Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about how unprecedented that is. But just to lay it out, sort of the basics of it, what are the risks in false weather forecasts, especially from somebody like the president?
0: So there's huge risks in putting out false weather forecasts, uh, especially concerning severe weather scenarios. People are making serious decisions. Businesses are making decisions that cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. People are deciding whether to board up their windows, to decide whether or not to evacuate a certain area. And each storm, there's actually deaths that Occur prior to the storm even getting to an area because people fall or they have a heart attack while preparing their home or their property for the storm.
1: And furthermore, I think it's not very controversial to say that it's important that the public can believe the statements of the president and, and of public officials on, on this kind of thing, right?
0: Yeah, in, in particular, the scientific institutions, which usually are not perceived to be partisan. So the weather has not been something that's perceived to be partisan other than, you know, climate science. science.
1: So given that it wasn't an accurate weather prediction from Trump in that tweet, the National Weather Service station in Birmingham, Alabama, then tweeted that Alabama will not see any impacts from Dorian. And they wanted to correct the message for their community to prevent all of the risks that you talked about. But the story didn't end there. Essentially, the tweet and news reports about Trump's false weather report really riled him up. So how have we seen Trump first acting on his own initially try to fend against the storyline that he misrepresented the weather?
0: First of all, the Birmingham office claims uh, pretty credibly that they issued their tweet only in response to an influx of phone calls from worried residents saying, is the storm really going to hit that bad that I I just heard the storm's really going to hit? So they issued the tweet in response to the phone calls and only later found out that it was a tweet from President Trump. So Trump, we saw him over and over again, tweeting out different maps. And the National Hurricane Center produces various maps and products that are meant for emergency managers. They're meant for FEMA. They're meant for meteorologists elsewhere. Um, They're meant for people like me who communicate about weather and extreme weather and say this is probably the scenario that's going to happen. So he would just start tweeting out different products, including a spaghetti chart, which is basically like you just put all of the computer model projected paths of a storm on one map, And it Mm -hmm. looks like strings of spaghetti. Sounds Um, delicious. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's the most delicious weather map there is. (laughs) And it told him that a bunch of models were showing Alabama. Mm -hmm. But a trained meteorologist looking at that map would see that over 50% of the models were actually along the East Coast. So the fact that he was tweeting that was, was a little weird. And then it's come to be clear that in some of his briefings, those maps were being used, which a lot of uh, scientists are questioning how that happened and why that happened and how that should never happen again. Well,
1: let's talk about one specific map that caused a lot of upheaval last week, which was a map that Trump himself sharpied on to. Can you just summarize what happened there?
0: Yeah. So he took a five-day forecast track map of the storm, which he was briefed on by the director of NOAA, uh, Neil Jacobs, on August 29th. And because I'm weird, I have this like weird (laughs) obsession with government Flickr accounts. (laughs) And so I go through like the White House one and the defense secretary one and all of that. I can't uh, believe Flickr still exists. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And the government uses it. So I saw the briefing photo where that particular chart was shown to Trump on August 29th. So when the video came out with that Sharpie area uh, shown to encompass Alabama, I said, wait a minute. He was shown this on August 29th. So he was using an outdated map to uh, illustrate that Alabama was also in the cone, so to speak. So that is why this whole thing became known as Sharpie Gate and when nighttime talk shows started using it as the butt of jokes and that sort of thing.
1: Right. And because this is can he do that, I just have to ask the legal question. A lot of things I read suggested that it is, in fact, illegal to tamper with weather maps. Is that true?
0: It is, in fact, illegal uh, to tamper with official government weather forecast products. However, the question here and... I've actually talked to a few people on this, and some people have yelled at me in emails about this, Mm. is whether or not the fact that it was a hindcast, not a forecast, would make a legal difference. So if he had shown that on August 29th, when it was the current forecast and had drawn on it, you might have a legal case to make. But because it was shown on, you know, September 4th or so, you know, and it was from August 29th. There may not have been that danger of misinforming people because the storm was already in the Carolinas at that point.
1: So those are were his individual actions. But we've seen action from the National Weather Service's parent organization called the National Oceanic Atmospheric Association, or commonly referred to as NOAA. Late last Friday, NOAA essentially sided with the president. What was in that statement that sided with the president?
0: So that statement was extraordinary for the agency to issue. Just knowing the agency's history, it was unsigned. Uh, it was attributable to a spokesperson. Mm-hmm. And it said that there were forecast products, including tropical storm force wind probabilities, that showed possible impacts in Alabama straight on through September 2nd. Trump said his tweet September 1st. And the second paragraph of that statement uh, admonished the Weather Service Birmingham office for speaking in absolutes rather than probabilities. So by saying there will not be any impacts in Alabama, they were basically saying what they should have said was most likely there will not be any major impacts from this storm, which was absolutely just mind boggling that they would single out this office, which was trying to quell public panic mm-hmm. by issuing a definitive statement like that. And they were saying, well, you had to be more probabilistic. Sorry, guys. Uh, president wins.
1: And even though the statement itself didn't explicitly mention President Trump, it seemed pretty clear at the time to a lot of people at NOAA that this was likely a politically influenced message. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that reaction was like from scientists and meteorologists at NOAA?
0: The response immediately and uh, soon after was blistering. This is the first time, really, that we've seen the National Weather Service and NOAA be politicized to this degree. I mean, science at that level is always somewhat political, especially since NOAA does so much climate science research. But... The criticism was just absolutely overwhelming and harsh. And it was coming in on Twitter. It was coming in in emails to us. It was coming in via op-eds and uh, statements from members of Congress that the agency that forecasts the weather just said retroactively that Trump's tweet, which everybody knows in the meteorological community, was wrong was actually right.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: the agency that's supposed to tell you that the sky is blue just told us that it's a different color, you know, mm-hmm. than what we can see. with.
1: There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Are there certain ethical commitments that people in the science community make that they must uphold? So if somebody is telling them the sky is green, are they sort of ethically obligated to say that, no, in fact, the sky is blue?
0: They are. So NOAA has a very strong scientific integrity policy that was enacted several years ago. Some agencies didn't get around to enacting their policies till more recently. NOAA's is actually very strong and very forward-thinking. And it does have a provision in there that says that Mm -hmm. NOAA, I think no NOAA official may order a scientist in the agency to say something contrary to the science for political reasons.
1: And that includes political appointees at the highest levels? Mm
0: -hmm. So it was a clear case for a scientific integrity policy violation. Mm -hmm. That's not like a violation that sends people to jail or anything like that, but it's a violation that would be written up, that would be discussed in Congress, that is a serious matter for sure.
1: Can you elaborate a little bit more about what it means for an institution based in empirical science to sort of be protected from the political whims of the president
0: in the Trump administration, you've seen the EPA. We've seen the Interior Department and uh, USGS and the other agencies messed with, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen them take back science reports that they just released, take down a climate science website. The two agencies that had so far been free from much interference are NASA and NOAA. Mm-hmm. And really what's at stake here? is the integrity of the science that is being conducted and that is being communicated to people. And in the case of NOAA, they're doing life and death stuff. People really have to believe when the issue of hurricane warning and emergency managers have to believe that in order to tell people to leave, um, in order to uh, take certain actions. So. When you cause the integrity of that to be called into question, you sow public doubt and confusion about their forecasts. And then the question becomes, well, what happens next time? What happens with the next storm? And it just so happens that it looks like the next potential tropical storm may be headed for Alabama, of all places, in the next five to seven days. So I think it has to be kept in mind – what's at stake here? And this isn't about a Sharpie. And it's not about, you know, whose map was right, when was it right. But it's really like, can we trust the weather forecasts? Mm -hmm. And can we trust, you know, severe weather warnings?
1: Just to consider this, might there be an instance when national security calls for the president to somehow go against the science? Are there occasions where we've seen that in history or where that might be necessary?
0: You know, that's a really good question. I would assume there have been possibly related to nuclear programs, for example, Mm -hmm. um, and weapons development and programs at the energy department. Not that I know of when it comes to weather.
1: But this instance, just to be clear, was not related to our national security. It was related to the president's misstatement.
0: Yeah, it was all related to the president's misstatement, not related to national security concerns.
1: So I want to talk a little bit more about this unsigned statement from NOAA and what we know about how it came about. We know from your reporting now that Trump told his staff that NOAA needed to correct the Birmingham tweet. And so Trump's acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, then calls the Commerce Secretary, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Fun thing I learned is that these weather service departments are under the Commerce Department. I did not know that before. But anyway, he calls Secretary Wilbur Ross to tell him to fix the issue. Can you tell me what happened from there? What did Ross do?
0: He called the NOAA administrator, the acting NOAA administrator, Neil Jacobs, at somewhere between 2 and 2.30 in the morning on Friday morning and told him to take care of this. So him and his deputy chief of staff were holed up in a room all day on Friday trying to figure out what statement to issue. And the statement they issued basically weaseled its way around, you know, what that there was one forecast product that showed about a 5% chance of tropical storm force winds in Alabama. Therefore, the definitive tweet issued by the Birmingham office was inaccurate. We have not confirmed whether or not jobs were threatened. I've been told by people close to. Dr. Jacobs that he wouldn't have acted if multiple jobs you know, weren't on the line, that he would have fallen on his sword. So that's what they were dealing with on Friday. We know that the statement was put together by only two people, that none of the career communications staff knew about it, and that the National Weather Service director was given five minutes warning that this was going out.
1: It's my understanding that the president can't fire civil servants, but he can fire political appointees. They're the people often at the very top of these organizations. And political appointees can then fire civil servants. So in this case, is it realistic or is it appropriate to frame this as employees who were made to choose between their scientific ethics and their
0: jobs? Yes, uh, especially when you consider the background of the acting NOAA administrator. He's a weather modeler by training. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a meteorologist. He is not – like he's a political appointee, but he's not a politician. Mm -hmm. But he has a pretty decent moral compass in the sense that like he knew that uh, this Mm -hmm. would cause significant problems for morale at his agency. And it was also the wrong thing to do because it wasn't true. They found a way to issue that statement in order to do it unsigned and to refer to that one forecast product.
1: But scientists who work in NOAA at the lower levels who were part of the teams that came up with these models, that uh, researched – sorry, I don't know the weather terms mm-hmm. – <laughs> that were part of, the, part of the people who came up with this forecast. If they were to push back against the president or refuse to be a part of this statement or support it in any way or come out against it – are there jobs on the line or are there safeguards to protect them for, for upholding their ethics?
0: So within the agency, just like other government agencies, there is a dis- disincentive to speak out mm-hmm. um, because you're worried that you're going to be retaliated against by leadership. What ended up happening was that the statement was issued on a Friday and then the next week there... There's been a weather conference in, of all places, Huntsville, Alabama. So the National Weather Service director spoke on Monday morning. We had a reporter there in the room where such weather geeks uh, at the Post that we knew about this conference. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we were one of two media organizations that sent somebody there. Mm -hmm. And um, he issued a full-throated defense of the Birmingham office asked the staff of the Birmingham office to stand up and be recognized, and they got a standing ovation, and then he got a standing ovation. Wow. So the message that was sent to the rank and file was, I've got your back. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, Neil Jacobs, the NOAA director, was scheduled to speak. There was a whole question about would he show up. Mm-hmm. His voice cracked multiple times during the speech. He was clearly pretty emotional. And he basically said, Nobody's job is on the line. I am the same person I was last week. Um, You know, it was very clear that this was very hard for him, hard on him, and that he knows he's kind of damaged goods at this point.
1: Okay, So seemingly to get to the bottom of all of these questions, Noah's top scientist on Monday says that he's investigating why the agency would do this, why they would defend Trump's false information, why they would put out this statement. He suggested it might be politically motivated. How does he lay out his reasons for the investigation? What's motivating the investigation?
0: So he is the one who's in charge of investigating violations of the scientific integrity policy. He's been described to me as uh, somebody who's as tough as nails uh, in the agency. Uh, he's been there a long time. He is seemingly like in the email that he sent to uh, to staff, which people then sent to the post, he was striking uh, in his language. He was uh, so clear where he basically said, I have the responsibility to pursue violations of this sort, I can do that and I will. It's clear that the, you know, response within the agency, that's the main response that can take place, Mm -hmm. is an investigation of the integrity policy.
1: What are the implications of those findings? So they find it's violated who's held to account.
0: It's not like anybody gets fired. It is significant, If uh, they turn up emails between certain officials, for example, that then could get referred somewhere else Mm -hmm. to take action. Mm -hmm. Um, But there... Where else? The investigations are proliferating. We've confirmed that the inspector general of the Commerce Department uh, is investigating and has already told certain individuals to hold on to all communications having to do with this.
1: That's a separate investigation.
0: That's a separate investigation. And that has more power because when the Inspector General's report gets released, Congress often takes action. Mm -hmm. The House Science Committee has announced an investigation. They're including in there a curious part uh, where they requested all communications, not just between Commerce and NOAA, but between the Executive Office of the President and Commerce. On the thinking that somebody, you know, from the White House was involved in this. So that investigation is taking place and there are calls for other letters of support, other requests for some sort of action. And I think every reporter who covers science policy has filed the Freedom of Information Act request in the past few days.
1: Do any of these investigations have real implications for the president?
0: No, I don't think so. I, I think It's possible that it'll complicate the political standing of uh, Commerce Secretary Ross. You know, a lot of these are uh, important for getting information out, for learning how this happened, for hoping to try to maybe change policies so that the agency is even more insulated in the future, and uh, just to get the details uh, out because without that, Uh, There'll be questions hanging over the agency for a very long time.
1: But beyond political implications or public opinion, there's no way built into our system to hold the president accountable for potentially having pressured an agency to mislead the public on his behalf.
0: In this instance, no. I could foresee an issue where there would be, which is if he pressures the National Weather Service to issue a false forecast or a false warning and says, hey, I really want the area around Mar-a-Lago to be evacuated Uh, or, hey, you know, you put a hurricane warning here. We're going to put – why don't you put one here? Uh, That would be unprecedented and that would be uh, in violation of the law, which is against false forecasts.
1: Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: This has been another episode of Can You Do That? If you liked this episode or any episode in our archives, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to share it. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the diligent Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.